Okay, so we left, uh, we were in Zimbabwe five years. We left uh, Zim uh, in 2005 to move to Johannesburg with PJ and Ash in order to plant God first. Um, we moved with 20 people into a city uh, where we knew nobody. Um, in fact, none of us were from Johannesburg. We all moved in to plant. We didn't even know where the post office was. And so we were very reliant on a volunteer workforce uh, of people we didn't yet know um, who would help us to get involved and, and get the church off the ground. Um, one of the... Uh, one of the things that we've really enjoyed within God First has been a very high culture of volunteerism. Um, uh, my wife and I planted in 2010. We planted into the Four Ways area of Johannesburg on the north side. We have a congregation of 225 um, adult members, of which currently uh, 220 are on a volunteer serving team. Um, four on maternity leave and one person is disobedient um, but, <laughs> um, but that's the kind of that's the kind of stats that we've had all the way through um, as part of God first in even when our story was that as a church we were cresting two and a half three thousand people we always have had volunteer teams in excess of about 90 percent of the church um, and there's huge joy in having a very high volunteer workforce there's, mu there's much joy in it. And one of the big joys is if everyone's lifting load, then the load is lighter. So with our children's teams, many of our children's teams are serving, that they do two on or six off. So they're effectively serving once a month or uh, are, are setting up and packed down. We are in a school hall, and we have been now for seven years, um, where the school allow us to store nothing except the bass drum. Um, and everything else has to come in in trailers every Sunday morning and everything, every, uh, every cup, every orange juice, everything has to be brought in and everything has to go out. And so we require a high volunteer uh, workforce. Um, and that means that we've got to have uh, people who are not only recruited but retained onto those, onto those teams. But when you're serving once a month, you can serve with great joy, you can serve with great energy, you can serve with great passion. Um, I know for many, many churches in the past I've been in, you, you, you sign up to be involved in kids' ministry, um, and then you kind of find yourself somewhere out of the back with the children, and after a few months you wonder, does anyone else know I exist in this particular church? Or sometimes there's that sense of I'm signing up for something, and there's that resignation that I'll probably end up doing this every day of my life until Jesus comes. Um, and those are the kind of things that stop people from signing up. So what we're really looking at is how do we recruit people to the work of the ministry? How do we recruit people into volunteerism? And once we've got them there, how do we retain them? What I'm going to do is I'm going to go through and do about half the, fr the front half is going to be on a lot of input. I'm going to talk very fast. I am just going to download huge amounts of stuff. Take vast amounts of notes. If you've got questions, make a note of them because we'll do a Q&A at the end. Okay. A part of that is going to be an interactive um, interactive game in the corridor that you may have seen outside because it's the after lunch session and an hour of listening to me won't serve you and often it will help you in a practical way to see the things that I'm teaching working themselves out okay so that's where we're going um, so let's get cracking straight away I'm going to give you seven or eight points which just help you to establish this culture of volunteerism Okay, so did we get that show of hands? Who, 
Who finds recruiting volunteers the most challenging? And, and hands up. Okay. Who finds the retention of volunteers the most challenging? Andrew, you can't put your hands up for both. <laughs> <laughs> Use different hands, so I'll let you get away. But <laughs> okay. Um, okay, when it comes to recruitment, the first point I've got is create a wide front door. Okay? Make it really easy. It has to be easier to volunteer in your church than it is to, to get into this session. Do you know what I mean? That was a mission for some of you. You... you <laughs> You've got to make it easy for people to arrive. This is terrible. Not only is the door shut and you're rattling at the door, everyone is looking at you through the window, and when you enter it, everyone can see that you're late. <laughs> yeah. Who would want to come to this session under those circumstances? We haven't created a good wide front door here. When you're setting this up, you've got to create a wide front door. Okay, how? We've got to make it simple and easy for people to get involved. You see... We've got to work from the premise that generally people want to be useful. They want to add value. They want to contribute. They love Jesus. And so they want an opportunity to express that. So we need to be able to, to do that. How easy is it if I came to your church to sign up and get involved? Is it easy? How would I do it? Are there lots of opportunities? Will I see it in publications? Will I see it online? Will I see, uh, I will see it on a Sunday morning? How easy is it? What are the opportunities? How attractive are you making it to sign up and volunteer? <coughs> Excuse me. One of the things we do every year is we do sign up Sunday. So it's right at the beginning of the, of the year, we work a January to December academic year. So in January, second, third week of January, we have a sign-up Sunday. We put a huge amount of effort into sign-up Sunday. We'll talk to it in church, and then afterwards we create a market-type feel outside. And so as you go out, there'll be market stalls, and each of the teams are recruiting heavily for their stalls, normally with kind of giveaways. And uh, uh, the setup and pack down team this year set up a bench press. And if you wanted to sign up, they were all there with hard hats and overalls. And if you wanted to get onto the setup team, if you couldn't bench press at least five, they didn't want you. So we've got all these guys like, I can do that. You know, I'll, I'll, uh, and there's a, there's a whole load of guys around. How many could you do? Who could get onto what team? James managed 54 press-ups. I want to be on his team because he knows how to carry chairs. And the whole thing was very vibey, very exciting. And if you got to five, not only that, you got a free bag of biltong, which is you know, the dried meat that uh, the, the guys love in South Africa. And they were chuffed. I'm in the setup team. And there was other teams that the kids had a... The kids' team had a whole circus thing going on. Uh, they had a big toilet bowl, and if you could throw the toilet roll across and land it in the bowl, a bit like we were playing outside last night, then you got to be on the, you got on the kids' team. They gave, away th- they gave away lots of little things. We had a little mug for everyone who signed up um, about the joy of serving in the church. And so it was just a very vibey Sunday. The great thing about it is that everyone knows it's coming around year on year. So what you're saying is, for 2017, I'm signing up for this team. I'm going to be committed to this team. But I know at the end of this year, if I want to, I may switch and do another team. And people enjoy that. It's, it's got a start. It's got an end date. There's a set of commitments. And when they get to that table, they might discuss, you know, and what, what does it involve? 
What does it involve being on this team? Uh, what is the level of commitment? How will it work? What support will I get? What will my, what, what, this is what I feel I can contribute. And the team leaders put a huge amount of creativity into it. Our, our tea team, they were doing ICs, you know, um, what do you call them? Uh, snow cone kind of stuff. Slashes, yeah, they were doing those. And, and it's just lovely to come out of church and everybody is saying, where can I serve? Where can I get involved? And about 80% of the church will sign up on that Sunday for the serving for that year. It's, uh, we've made it easy for people to do that. Um, the second thing we always ask is, how diverse are the opportunities to serve? <coughs> um, we're finding the majority of people are very happy to serve on a Sunday, but there are other things that we do. We've got a project running into a school in Four Ways, which is very, very impoverished. We're doing a lot with the reading scheme there. We've put a librarian into that particular school. Some people would rather give a you know, Tuesday morning to that. What about uh, areas of ministry in church life? You know, we've got... Our kids, our, uh, the guy who runs our kids program, on a, ch- on a Wednesday morning, he runs what he calls the Laminating Club, um, which is about eight or nine older ladies who are not working who come in. He provides them tea and lashings of cake, and they cut, they glue, they staple, they laminate, they sit around and talk about nonsense all morning, but everything is done. At the end of a Wednesday morning, every box for every group is done, it's ready, it's in a pile, and we just now need to transport it to church. And when the kids' team come along, they haven't had to do any of the prep in the week. They've prepared their lessons and they know what they're teaching, but they know that when they get there, there'll be a box with every resource for every activity, cut, ready, and able to go for the, chi- for the kids. If it's painting, the paints will be there. Um, and so it's another opportunity. And so we're trying to find as many ways and opportunities to get people to get involved and to serve. Um, not everyone wants to serve on a Sunday. Other people want to bring their everyday gifts. So we've got some guys who are, who are graphic designers. They're really happy to bring that gift into church life. And so we'll, we'll send them commissions of things that they can work on as their, servi- as their volunteerism. We've got other people who don't want to bring their everyday life. So we've got a number of teachers who say, I'll do anything except kids <laughs> because I've got kids. All and so we need to create diverse opportunities for people to find uh, the lane they should wor- work in. We're looking at what is the commitment involved. Um, uh, some people love set projects. They love very specific, so start date and end date, and this is what I do. Other people, um, d- some people love to be in the dreaming and the planning stages of things, but actually once we start to get going on it, they lose boredom quite quickly. It's just getting to know uh, people um, and, and helping them to get engaged. Keep a very wide front door. Second thing, number two, create an expectation of serving. For us as a chur- church, we have determined that we will create an expectation that everyone, um, everyone serves in our church and we create the expectation at the moment they enter the church. So when people arrive at our church, they, jo- they attend something called Get Connected. Get Connected is a kind of a, a, a forerunner, a taster for the membership course and it's indicating that, yeah, hey, I'd quite like to pursue membership. And what we say is if you're going to be part of our church, um, uh, m- my surname is Jack, and so to be part of the Jack family we have a certain expectations. So we expect that we will have di- a meal together around the table with no screens at least once a day. Um, each 
child must keep their own room tidy. And then there's specific things. Thomas will empty the dishwasher. Naomi has to keep the guinea pigs clean and tidy. Um, and Elise, helps, uh, Elise has uh, chores in the garden. Uh, they're, they're things that we expect them to do. Now, Andrew's family may be very different in terms of their expectations. We say, what are the expectations in joining the God First family? Well, as a family, the expectation is we're all going to serve. Each of us is going to get involved somewhere. We're all going to be in a small group and we're all going to give. And so we lay that expectation up front so that actually when people are saying, yeah, I'm going to join this church, but if I join this church, I know that means I'm going to serve and be involved. There's no surprises later on. I think sometimes people come in and then after six months or nine months, you're thinking, um, okay, I wonder how I can ask this guy to get involved. Um, there's an expectation that everyone will get plugged in. Um, we do those meetings once a month. Yeah. So actually, um, from the moment someone visits for the first time, um, we, we kind of have a goal. Of if a first time, about 40% of our first time visitors are members of the church and on a serving team within six weeks. So what happens is they, they get, I was being driven from the hotel this morning and I was just chatting to our driver and he'd been part of a very small community. Um, and then that community kind of stopped for various reasons. And he said, I came, to, I came to Covenant Life. And it was this huge community. And me and my wife asked, how on earth are we going to make friends? Um, but we started to serve. And that's how it happened. And what we find is that people getting involved in the church, integrated in the church, and starting to call, you know, you notice very quickly, rather than saying your church, they say our church. Because there's an ownership because they're serving and they're contributing. And so we're helping people to find community and we're helping people to uh, take ownership of the church and be involved. Serving isn't done because it gets, we don't have it just because it gets the job done. Um, it helps people to feel part of what we're doing. You know what it's like if you've contributed to something, you've helped to make something, you've helped to design something, you feel an ownership of it. So we want that for everyone joining our church. Um, Third thing is we're trying to create a culture of serving within the church. Um, the great thing is that uh, is doing it at the point um, of membership. Everybody who's coming into the church is hearing the same message. So everyone knows that everybody else has had the same conversation. So everyone who's come to the church, they, they kind of know there is this kind of culture. How do you create a culture? Well, firstly, you need to speak it. Um, it comes through the Get Connected course, but it's reinforced in every aspect of church life. Um, when people get introduced to the church on Sunday morning as joining the church, we always introduce everyone. And we say, you know, hey, these two guys, they're joining the church. Uh, he's a graphic designer. Um, she's a stay-home mom. They've got three kids. Um, and he's going to be part of our sound team. And she's volunteered to be part of our kids team. Isn't that amazing that they're getting involved in serving? And so all the time we'll take an opportunity. Um, sometimes when we're praying for someone in church, maybe it's a baby dedication, and we pray, for, you know, we do the baby dedication. Why doesn't, guys, why don't their serving teams come and join them? Or why don't their small groups come and join them? And so everyone else who does the tea on a Sunday morning all comes scuttling to the front, and the entire tea team are praying for this family because they're a community that serve together. And so we're trying to create that culture throughout the whole of the church. Um, 
So, and the culture runs through the church so much that recently we had uh, a lady, Sally, and she contacted her team leader to say that she's going to step down from the kids' team because she'd actually started to work as a, as a, as a classroom assistant um, in a school, and she felt like she needed a break from kids at the weekend. And her team leader, I loved his response. He said, Sally, that's no problem. Thanks for letting us know. I'll let the church office know that you're looking for a new area to serve in. <laughs> and because we've got that particular culture, the, the, the thought wasn't, okay, you're retiring into nothing. I get why you're stepping off here, and I'll help the church to help you find somewhere else that you can serve. And so there is that kind of expectation um, with everyone. Um, the fourth thing it does is we try and create communities of serving. So what we're trying to do all the time is to create a, a, a sense of community and ownership. So if you are on a team that's uh, doing ushering, for example, uh, welcome and ushering, you're always on with that same team. You always got the same team, the same responsibilities. And that helps people to integrate into the church. It helps people to meet people of, a di of diversity that they might not normally have met. And interestingly, um, it has had a very positive pastoral spin-off for us. I recently had a young guy come in called Stuart. Stuart sat with me and he said, Stephen, I'm really struggling in this area of my life. And I, I just feeling I'm struggling to overcome in this area. Can you help? And I said, yes, we need to find someone who can walk with you. I said, who's your small group leader? And he said, oh, it's, you know, it's AJ. I said, who, which Sunday serving team are you on? I, I'm, a, I'm on set up with James. I said, who would you like to walk this through with you? Oh, James, he's just great. And, and uh, interestingly, it's also produced that sense of community. And so James and him now meet and they do set up together on a Sunday and then, then they'll have coffee afterwards after they've packed down and they'll talk through this particular issue. And I was really encouraged that some of these guys are finding gr great community and it creates two communities for people within the church. They've got their small group midweek and they've got their serving team on Sunday. So we throw budget at this as well in terms of uh, our serving team, our volunteer team leaders. So I say during the year, guys, you've got up to this amount. You've got, you know, you've got a thousand rand that you can call on this year um, just to encourage your team. And so, you know, recently Les, who runs my ushering team, um, she came in with a receipt. She'd bought every one of them a, ch a chocolate candy bar and with a little tag on saying, thank you for loving our church. And people came and they got this. And it's such a small thing but it means a huge amount, and there's a great community. And then towards the end, we have our volunteer appreciation, um, and sometimes we do it all together. So this year, we did a big spit, a briar, a big spit barbecue, sheep on a spit. We had jumping castles, whole families came along, and the staff cooked, and the staff served, and all the volunteers were treated. Um, uh, sometimes we'll just take the the volunteer leaders out. We took them all to the theatre and to dinner. Um, and then we gave them a budget for each of them to do something with their teams. So the setup team went for beer and burgers. They had a great evening. But those kind of things really help create community of serving. Next thing we want to do is we always want to lead through vision. I think one of the biggest problems with volunteers when we recruit them is we don't lead with vision. We lead with function. So we say... Guys, this is what you need to do. Not this is why we are doing this. 
So what people hear is I'm going to have to be there at seven in the morning. I'm going to have to be able to come once every three weeks. I've got this job, this job, this job, and this job to do. Um, I hope if you come to visit us at God First Four Ways and you stop one of the guys who are parking cars and, they, and you say to them, hey, Dave, what are you doing? I'm confident that Dave won't say I'm parking cars. What Dave will say is, I'm growing the church. And if you say, Dave, why is that? What do you mean by that? He will say, well, you see, if a visitor arrives and can't find anywhere to park, or actually the nearest parking bay is three blocks away, and by the time they've got the, by the, time they've got the kids organized and they've walked to church, the service has already started, and, and there's no one to show them where to drop off their kids, it doesn't matter how good the worship is or how good the preaching is. They've already made their decision, I'm not coming here again. But when the visitor arrives and I put them in a decent car park space and I greet them and I say, oh, you've got kids. You need to go over there and register your kids. He said, they're going to already think I want to join this church. So my job is to grow the church. And I'm the most important person who's here this morning. Actually, every team member will tell you that they're the most important person because we lead with the vision. So when it's raining or when it's freezing and Dave's alarm goes off on a Sunday, it's not, oh, I've got to go and park cars. It's, oh, I get to go and grow the church. And, and we've got to be able to do that with vision. One of my homeworks for you is for the area maybe you're leading volunteers or if you're leading you know, several teams of volunteers, how would you write a vision statement for pouring tea on Sunday? How would you write a vision statement for showing people to their seats? How would you envision somebody to work the projector for the words, you know, any number or the area that you're responsible for? What is the vision? Because we must lead with the vision because the other stuff's just detail. Um, the second thing within that is actually if you lead with the vision, you can allow the teams themselves to work the detail out. Whereas so often what we do is just throw them the detail. This is what needs to be done. This is when it needs to be done. This isn't who needs to do it. And this is how it must be done. And then just people follow by rote. And there's no sense of ownership. We've not crafted this thing together. So I don't tell the guards how to park the cars, where to park the cars, what color fluorescent bibs to wear. They work that out themselves. I cast the vision of why we have a car parking team and then they work that out for themselves. And I think that's quite important that we don't rob people of that opportunity. And again, it creates a sense of ownership for those guys that they're working that thing out. Um, I'll tell you a very funny story. Um, uh, because we're a school, we, um, we, we everything gets set up each week. Um, and uh, uh, one, of the, one of the guys... Um, who was leading, decided that this is how the chairs would go. And he took a picture of it. And this is how the chairs must look. And he created a little stick. And this was the gap that had to go between each chair. And a second stick. And this was a gap between the chair and the chair in front. And he gave them to the guys setting up the chairs and said, this is how it must look. And so the guys just come in and they come with their sticks and they're kind of, you know, making sure. Um, on one particular occasion, I wanted to turn the church 90 degrees for a very good reason. It had a baptism, and it wasn't going to work. 
And so the sound guys had got in early and the baptistry was filled up. And I arrived, I kid you not, I arrived to a church where the band, the baptistry and the screens and projector were facing this way. And all the chairs were facing the other way because these guys had gone in and said, this is how we have to do it with our stick. Now, it is a different context, but what it explains was there was no ownership. There was no creativity. There was no thought. So often we say, why don't our volunteers show a bit of initiative? Which only because we never allow them to show them any initiative because we tell them this is how it must be done. And I think it's encouraging that we, must, we shouldn't do that. We should cast vision for our volunteers and they'll work that out. And probably better than we can. Um, I think the level of direction we do give, however, must bear in mind both the importance of the job and the level of experience that we're giving to the people. So, you know, so if it's absolutely fundamental and the person's doing it for the first time, we do need some direction. So don't just, don't just abdicate that. Um, next point is try and set the bar at the right height. Okay, when you're recruiting people, set the bar at the right height. This is really key. Um, it often comes down to knowing your audience in terms of how hard an ask you make. But here's a few things. Firstly, people generally tend to respond either to need or to challenge. Now, when you have people in a room and you put up, guys, we've got a big need here. There's a whole lot of people in the room who will think, oh, I think I could do that because they respond to need. We put a need out, they're compassionate, they want to get involved. Um, these people often respond to every need, <laughs> overcommit, burn out, and so you have to walk them through whether they are the right person for that particular need. But the other people tend to respond to challenge, and men are particularly like this, you know? It's kind of like, um, with some guys, I don't think this can be done is all you need to say to them and they'll, they'll spend their time proving that you're wrong and that this can be done. You know, they like a puzzle, they like a problem, they like a big challenge. I think, James, can I talk to you about this? Because I don't know what to do with it, but this is a problem. And then James will come back a week later saying, I think we can do this. You know, putting a challenge out before guys is really good. But we need, with the, with the, with the need people, we just need to put the need up. With the challenge, often it needs a conversation. And that's what's important, is we have the right conversation. But when we do, we need to set the bar right. I've seen too many people have said, look, James, I know you're really, really busy. But we've got this problem area. Um, I'm setting up a board of directors for this little project. Um, do you think you could help? It'll just be four board meetings a year of about an hour and a half. I'm only asking for six hours of your time. Would you be willing? So James says, yeah, that's no problem at all. But then you've got James in as a board member who does nothing between board meetings, who only comes, f and, and you're frustrated because James, come on man, get with the project. <laughs> but actually you only asked him for that. You know, we're very, we excuse it. You know, we, we dumb it down. We, we kind of think if we set the bar this low, we just got to get them to hop over. But when we set the bar that low, that's the level of commitment that we get and we end up frustrated. I always think set the bar at the height you want, do the big ask, and the guys who respond to challenge, they'll leap that bar. And so don't be afraid of the big ask. You know, some people like Gideon needed an individual angel to come in and coax him out of the threshing floor with lots of flattery, you mighty man of valor. Come on, man, you can do it. And he needed lots and lots of time, lots of fleeces, lots of 
at proof and eventually he took the thing on. The apostle Paul just needed knocking off his horse. And I've got two elders that need a Gideon approach and I've got two elders that need a Paul approach. I would much rather they all need a Paul approach because knocking off the horse is, e is easy, fun and quick. Um, <laughs> the Gideon thing takes time, but know the people that you're asking. And I think when you've got really key areas, particularly leadership areas, you need to think about, is this a need or a challenge person? Does this person need, uh, you know, need some time? Or does this person just need a bit of a... Uh, I have one elder, JP. Um, when we planted the church, he came with us. Um, he, he, wasn't on a, he wasn't an elder at the time. He came, but he kind of was wandering in. He sat at the back row um, and with his wife and two, two small kids. And it was kind of, he was in a small group. He served once a month. And uh, one day I took him out for breakfast, and I said, "Hey, Japes, you know the church, the, the, the church plant's six months old. How do you think it's going?" Yeah, it's like, you know, blah, blah. How, Stephen, how do you think it's going? I said, "I think it's going really well, but I've got one massive disappointment, and that's you, because I just feel like you're just coming in late, you're leaving early, you're not engaged, you've got leadership all over you, and I just think you've got to step up." Um, six months later, he was on our eldership team, and a year and a half is the fastest ordination of an elder we've ever had. He's my, he's, he preaches um, amazingly. Um, he's now a headmaster of a primary school, and he looks back and he says, that moment, you, he said, changed my life. That breakfast changed my life. I wouldn't recommend you do that unless you really know the person, and I knew JP well. Um, he'd been in my small group for three or four years. Um, but some people need that level of a high bar commitment. Other people need a lot more time and, and discipleship. But think about the bar that you're setting. Finally, have clear and well thought out processes. Now I can go on for processes and procedures for an awful long time. Um, but the danger if I go over our processes at God first is you think, okay, well, I'll take those and I'll dump them into our context. Your context is entirely different. You need to think about your own processes. But the point is, people are secure with processes. How does this work? Who do I communicate with? Who organizes what? How does this system work? Now, you might have online processes. You might have WhatsApp groups. You might have, you know, you've got to work into your own detail. In our church, we're in Africa. We've actually got, I've got a list of people in our church who don't even have an email address and don't have a smartphone. So, you know, WhatsApp groups don't work for them. Online things don't work for them. You've got to work this out in your context. So we have to find systems that work for us. Our systems work really well, but I know if we were to double to 500, I would have to redo them. Um, and so you've got to keep looking at that. But if people are constantly feeling like no one communicates with me, I never quite know what's going on, it's disorganized, you've got to go through to your systems and processes. Um, you know, it, leading volunteers is constantly like juggling a balls, you know? Um, it's okay occasionally to let the odd ball drop because you learn a lot through those. Some balls are plastic and some are glass. So you just need to make sure you don't let the glass balls drop. You know, there are certain things that if they drop, it can be fairly catastrophic. But there's other things that you can actually let those things drop because good learnings come out of it and better systems develop. But you need to develop some processes that will help with things. And then finally, I just want to talk about the importance of leadership. Because leadership is key. 
and finding the right leaders for each area. Where I have a problem area of volunteerism, whether it be in the school, in the office, on a church, on a Sunday, it generally, things come down to leadership, okay? And sometimes it has to start and finish with me. How am I leading? How am I leading my volunteers? How am I, um, uh, how am I managing with them? So in terms of leadership, I've got, got a few things um, that, I wanna, that I wanna put up um, that will help us. <coughs> when we are, When we're working with teams and with volunteers, um, we talk about something which is called the support and challenge matrix, okay? So everything that we do is a balance of, um, of a how much support am I getting and how much challenge is there in what I'm doing, okay? So if you've got, uh, if you've got a task which is very high in support, lots of support, but not much challenge, what you end up with people is after a while, a kind of certain degree of apathy. Do you know, they're kind of, you know, they'll come along, they'll do it. You know, they end up kind of spectating a little bit. Um, uh, but, but really, the, the word I would use is they're in their comfort zone. It's very kind of comfortable. You know, I've been doing the ushering team for the last seven years. You know, I'm on once, one every four. There's a lack of there's a lack of drive and enthusiasm. You know those kind of guys, they look a bit like they're involved, but they're spectating um, their comfort. Um, more often than not, is what you've got is very high challenge and very little support. What other word I might put in there? Stress. Okay, lots of stress. This is very difficult. I've got 72 three-year-olds. <laughs> you know, Already you're stressed, you know what I mean? Because that challenge is huge. You know, what is the support that I've got? Um, you know, we've got three, we've got uh, 200 250 adults and we've got 210 children in our church, um, which gives you an idea of the demographics. Of the 210 children, half are preschoolers. Um, we have one room for our three preschool groups with kind of room dividers. Um, so when I kind of... You know, we, we do get 40 three- and four-year-olds sometimes and three or four volunteers in a room with groups either side. And it can be very, very stressful. Okay? <laughs> Lots of challenge. Um, what you're really looking for is high challenge, high support, because then you get high performance. And that's what we're looking for all the time. And so often I'm training with my, with my volunteer leaders or, um, is to say, you know, where are the people on your teams? Sometimes I'll get one of my staff members or one of my volunteer leaders who I know are here and I will deliberately throw them into stress um, because actually it pushes them and develops them and then you add the level of support and they come into high performance. If you've got people who are stressed in, in any situation, you've got to ask, do I offer them more support which you obviously need to do, and do I need to reduce the challenge, okay? What are some of the ways in which we can support volunteers? What would good support look like? Let's have one or two ideas. Yes? Give them Sorry? Give them resources. Give them resources, absolutely. Uh, say that again? Communication. communication, what do you mean by communication? Yep, yeah. yeah, listening's very good, yep. Yeah. 
Follow up. Explain more. Brilliant. Get their feedback. Excellent. The biggest single support that people need is feedback. Okay, the biggest single thing. A survey was done of a huge factory in the UK. The factory had a thousand plus workers. They went round to the factory and they said to every worker, does the management criticize you or encourage you more? 100% of that workforce says they criticize us more. So what happened was that the management made a policy of for every piece of criticism that they gave, they needed to give two pieces of encouragement. Then they surveyed the staff again. 100% of the staff's feedback was they criticize us more. They, so they upped it to three to one. Only when they got to seven pieces of encouragement for every one piece of criticism did the workforce report, it's about even. <laughs> now the reason for that is, when we give feedback which is positive, it is always general. Hey Andrew, I thought you preached great. Yeah? Yeah, I, I really, I, you, yeah, I, you're so good with kids. Um, it's just kind of general encouragement. Hey, you're, you're so good at that. When, however, we give criticism, it's always very pointed. It's always very specific. The way you spoke to that child this morning just wasn't acceptable. And so what ends up happening is it comes very pointedly. So one of the things that we always train within our church is that we must give feedback, but we must give what we call developmental feedback. And the two phrases that we always use is, what did you do well and what could you do differently? Because then even the criticism is empowering. Say, so, hey, you know when you spoke to Tommy this morning... I think you could have expressed it like this instead. That's empowering because now they know. When Andrew, hey Andrew, when you speak, you know when you give those personal illustrations? You know, so, you know, Steve, Steve and Ryan this morning, hey Steve, when you brought that session and you talked about your relationship with your dad and you talked about what kind of dad you'd got and how it's inspiring, that really helped me because I relate so well to personal illustrations and I can see this isn't just text that you're preaching, it's something that you're living. You can just kind of feel Steve's going to be like, wow, I must put more illustrations in my, more personal illustrations in my preaching because it really helps people. So we must do that. How did something make us feel? What did we like about it? How, how and so we, we often, even our staff meetings and our volunteer meetings and our elders meetings, we practice giving feedback. Or sometimes I say, guys, can we just talk about f the, the Mother's Day service? Can we just have some feedback? You know, and Paul will say, oh, I thought it was great. And then we'll all throw biscuits at him, you know, and we'll <laughs> send him to the naughty step because that's not how you give feedback. We've got to give good developmental feedback and people feel supported. If people feel, I'm making a, if people feel I'm adding value, I'm making a contribution here, and if the feedback is in line with the vision, it's great. Sometimes I'll... Uh, I did a Get Connected evening and the one question I always ask is, guys, why are you joining our church? One thing you love about our church. And just recently, I was so chuffed, the guy said, do you know, 
I, I kind of came along with my wife. My wife wanted to visit this church. I wasn't really sure. We haven't been to church for years. And we arrived. And this guy in the car park just made me f- feel like I belonged here. And so, you know, I just SMS. Dad, you're growing the church. This guy's joined because of you in the car park. You know, it's kind of, they're the kind of support that really encourages people and helps them to feel involved and retained. So think about how are we doing this? What is the support and challenge? And how can we give better support? We support through giving really good feedback. What did you do well? Another way you could look at it is what should you do more of? Yeah, you did that. You do need to more of that because that is so strong. That's so good. It's so impactful. And what can you do differently? So it's quite fun now. Even PJ will often just now say, okay, um, let's look at the conference. Did wells and do differentlies. It's just the language has become a culture within the church that drips all the way through that just creates this positive degree of support for everyone. Good. Any more questions on that? Should we move on? Okay. Um, (coughs) Let me just pull this up on my... Sorry, the PowerPoint's not working. I've got all these slides. Um, A lot of what I'm putting up on the flip chart, I can email to you if you'd like them. Sorry. not coming up. Okay. Another thing that we look at when it comes to our volunteers, um, when it comes to leadership, is looking at what we call the basic competence in leadership. Okay. So there are five areas of leadership that we particularly look at. Um, The first one is vision. Uh, The second one is um, motivation. The third one is organization and administration. Uh, The next one is, sorry, just looking at my, I've got it on there. Um, It is communication and the last one is Vision, motivation, communication, and it'll come to me just now. Um, This here is the basic competence of leadership. Now, within some of the leaders that I'm working with, and you can probably think of maybe some of your key leaders, if you've got someone leading a ministry area, where you just think, you know, they're so strong in vision and motivation, but they're just somewhat disorganized. Um, Or actually, they're really, really organized, but they need some help with the vision. I like to be able to look at this kind of level of of competence and communication with with all of my teams um, and actually begin to work at how can we develop it. Here we go. Um, Decision making. Okay. Another thing you could do is actually look at yourself. Where do I fit in this? How am I? Okay. Um, a few years ago, and he doesn't mind me saying this, this was, this was a, a thing we did with PJ, and this was what his graph looked like. Um, 
And he said to me, Stephen, you're, you're really strong here. Um, would you help coach me so that I can reach a basic competence in this area? So I said, yeah, sure, I can do that. And so I coached him so that actually his graph, actually after a while, he brought this thing up to here. The problem was, this was the result. So much emotional kind of energy and effort went into here that actually some of the other things dropped. And what we actually agreed was, is actually we should just remove this and give it to me, just give it to me. And actually what we then saw is this. Yeah? And so one of the things you're looking at is kind of sometimes we expect everything. We live in a weakness fixated world. You know, you go to any kind of human resource uh, uh, at work and you do your performance review and the performance review will isolate the things you're strong at, which will go gloss over. And let's talk about this, this and this because there's real areas of weakness here. And so lots and thousands and thousands of dollars can be spent on sending you on courses to try and bring your area of weakness up. They're an area of weakness because that's the way God made you a lot of the time. And so what we need to be actually doing, and, and what I also what really want to do, is to try and find where are people's areas of strength. Where are their areas of strength and how can I develop those? Let's develop strength and manage the weakness. Now maybe I need to put someone in there who will manage that particular weakness. Maybe we can staff to it. Maybe we can volunteer to it. I had a kids leader uh, last year, my kids pastor. Just, she was just brilliant with vision and motivation and communication. They were off the charts. This was a nightmare. And the office just looked like a bomb had landed most days when she arrived. And what I needed was to set up this laminating club that could actually bring a degree of organization administration to her. And what I saw was our kids went to another level because she wasn't so bogged down in all that administration. So working out, we, we live under the false understanding that we need to be well-rounded people. We don't need to be well-rounded people. We need to be sharp-edged people, but we need to have well-rounded teams full of sharp-edged people. So that's what we're looking for. How can I get well-rounded teams full of sharp-edged people who are doing the things that God made them to do and because they're doing the things God made them to do, they're full of passion, they're full of life, they're full of joy and they're giving it horns. Okay? Good. Um, let's have a look at something else. Okay. Another thing that, um, that we often look at within our teams, I've talked an awful lot about vision, and I think we talk about administration, but what we often miss out in the middle is what we call the implementation. So all of our teams have a set goal, and how they're gonna get there, they're gonna get there via vision, implementation, and administration, okay? So the vision we've covered already. Now the implementation is quite key, because an implementer is somebody, and I, and I kind of feel that that's what I'm, where I'm strongest. An implementer can take a vision and can say, I can see how this needs to happen. They'll staff it, they'll budget it, they'll organize to it, they'll have a plan of action to how this is going to take place. Um, they'll see the whole big picture and pull it together and then they need a team of administrators who can then deliver on that action plan. And so I've kind of labored for years under the uh, impression that I'm an administrator. I'm a terrible administrator, absolutely awful. 
um, but I'm really good in this position. And so what we discovered within God first was um, PJ would have 42 ideas by breakfast time. <laughs> um, I would have 42 projects ready to roll by supper time and nothing ever happened. <laughs> Because I didn't have the administrative teams who could then take the blueprints and make those kind of things happen. So successful teams of volunteers. And so often what we need to do is we need to staff in these areas, but we need volunteers in these areas by this bucket load who can then come in and serve in those particular areas. And so often what we get is we get churches who get to the point of capacity and they think, I need an administrator. They actually don't. What they need is an implementer who can run volunteer teams of, of, uh, teams of volunteers who can make the thing happen. And if you've got an implementer in place, um, Cotter, um, a lot of this stuff just comes, from, just comes from business stuff that you can buy on the shelf at the local bookstore. There's a guy called Cotter, and he describes the difference between a visionary and an implementer. Okay? So when it comes towards... Uh, setting, uh, uh, creating an agenda. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? The visionary will establish direction, but the implementer will plan and budget. Okay? When it comes to developing people, the visionary will align people. This is what we're doing, guys. We're all facing this way. We're going in this direction. This is where God's taking us. This is what God's calling us to. We're moving in that direction. We're going to plant a church here. And all the people are facing that and they're getting excited about it. What the other guys do is he organizes and staffs. When it comes to uh, at the delivery... Uh, sorry, I put the wrong thing in. When it comes to uh, delivery, um, this guy here motivates and inspires. This person in here, they're controlling and problem solving. Can you start to see the difference? And so for many of you, um, you, can find uh, you can find yourselves into new areas um, of managing volunteers and so what you can do is you need a good vision and then someone to get an implementation plan and then your volunteers can make it happen. Is there any questions on this? Is this clear? Sure? Happy? Okay, cool. One more thing and then I'm going to give you the activity because we're running close to time. Um, there needs to be some kind of way of telling are our volunteers happy. Sometimes I think we measure success by we survived a Sunday or we measure success that no one left. Um, what measures success? Because when a team has a very clear, there's an vi ultimate vision but a very clear goal of what we're trying to do, then actually what ends up happening is that they, um, they achieve that, when they achieve that goal, they celebrate a success. And when you celebrate a success, it's a really joyful moment. We don't do enough celebrations of success in the things that we're doing. Maybe a kid comes to faith in Sunday school and we'll, or we'll celebrate that, you know. But do we celebrate the fact that, you know, eight, eight out of our ten kids this morning knew their memory verse? 
Have we even set that as a goal? Guys, we do a memory verse every week. And this Sunday they came back, eight of the children knew it. We'd set a goal of seven. Eight of them did it. Hey, high fives. Let's all have a chat candy bar. We deserve that. You know, we've done, we've t- we're teaching well. What are, the, what are the small goals that we're getting to? And so I'm always looking at how are my team's performing. And we use uh, an acronym of PERFORM to measure this. Um, the P stands for purpose and vision. If, uh, so your name is? Chris. Chris. If Chris is on my kids' team, and I, and I, and I after chat, say, hey, Chris, can you tell me what is the purpose and vision of kids' ministry? I would expect him to be able to come back and tell me what that is. Can everyone articulate why are we here? What is our vision? The second thing is, does Chris feel empowered? Or does he feel like a dog's body who comes and gets to take the boys down to the toilets and give out the chocolate biscuits? But outside of that, I'm not really sure what I'm... Is he empowered? Does he feel like I'm growing? Am I developing? Am I moving forward? Am I a better kids leader six months later than I was? Am I growing in ownership and skill? Um, What are the relationships and communication like with the team? Does he know what's going on? Does he get sent the lesson in advance? How involved is he? What is his relationships like? The F stands for flexibility. How flexible is this team? And if I needed Chris to step into a different team, Would that be able to work? Would he be comfortable with that? How flexible are we? Um, O is a bit of a cheat, is optimal productivity. Um, Are we producing? Well, the only way we can know is what are the measurable goals within the team? How are we measuring success here? Then there comes recognition and appreciation. Does he feel recognized? Does he feel appreciated? Is he getting decent feedback? Are people noticing? I think sometimes people feel, our volunteers feel, if I didn't pitch up on Sunday, would anyone notice? That's no good at all. I want people to feel they're appreciated. And finally, the M stands for morale. What is the morale like within this particular team? Okay? So, an activity. I'm going to divide you into two teams. And you've got a competition. Now, we have got just... We have got just 10 minutes for this, okay? So you are going to have to work speedily because we said we'd finish. We're finishing at three. Yeah. Yeah. So we have just 10 minutes for this activity, all right? So um, I'm going to give, I'm going to divide you into two. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. 15. So it's going to be the back two rows plus, you're going to join them, okay? So I'm splitting up husband and wife, okay? Um, And I'm going to ask, who, I'm going to ask you, your name is? Alan. Alan's your team leader, okay? Okay, Alan. Okay. And Alan, you have, it says you've got 30 minutes, you don't. You have 15 minutes, okay, starting now, <laughs> and you're going to do this activity in the corridor, okay? And uh, who wants to be the team leader here? Chris, you're going to lead the team at the front, okay? Get in your teams quickly. You've only got 15 minutes. I'm going to ask Alan's team, can you go to the far end, okay? The other side of the start line, you're going to start there, okay? Okay.